Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Mark Norris-Rogers of Rastermatics. He's the principal consultant of that firm, and he's coming to us from... South Africa. (laughs) South Africa. So Mark and I are giggling because we tried to do this recording uh, maybe two weeks ago, and I think we're literally... 15 minutes in Ottawa, Canada, we had a derecho, apparently that's how you pronounce it, a derecho storm. It knocked down like 300 power poles, uh, like basically a windstorm. And the internet at the office was working perfectly. So I was there, Mark and I were recording. And then suddenly it was one of those, Mark, are you there? And I'm sure on your side, you're like talking for like 10 minutes and then then pause it. Wait, wait is there someone on the other line? So it, it totally went the wrong way, the way we don't want one of these podcasts to go. Uh, but Mark, uh, you're joining us from, I believe, just outside uh, Cape Town. Tell us where you are in the geography of uh, where home base is for you. Yeah, no, I'm based in uh, the Western Cape. Uh, we're part of the Cape city of Cape Town Metro, but I actually live in a, a well town, I suppose you'd call it, uh, called Gordons Bay. Uh, which is about uh, 45, 50 k's from the center of Cape Town, southeast awesome. of Cape Town. Very cool. So, so I've had the the privilege to visit uh, South Africa. Uh, Mark Mark was gracious to to take me around as well. So I do uh, fondly remember that that area quite well. Beautiful, beautiful part of the uh, country, and uh, and again, fond memories. Like you took me around all over the place. Some some adventure, which maybe we won't talk about the rental car and the conveniently uh, <laughs> placed speed bump in the middle of nowhere. Um, life flashes between before our eyes and after our eyes, because for those who have traveled internationally, sometimes you don't want to get stranded in the middle of nowhere with uh, with nothing. So Mark's uh, amazing driving skills uh, salvaged that one and kept us safe and we won't go any further uh, into that. So Mark, you and I are talking right before this. I was joking about whether I was going to turn the fan on or or not. And then I, I kind of looked at you for those who are, are viewing Mark is in a black down jacket. And, and literally I had to pause because clearly our seasons are, are misaligned. But Mark, tell me about the weather. Like what's the temperature like in your neck of the woods? It's 23, 24 Celsius in, in Ottawa here. What's it like in your world? Uh, it's about between 12 and 15 degrees outside uh, Celsius. And uh, yeah, inside it's about 16. <laughs> wow. We don't have central heating. Uh, yes. But yes, we've just had our first major cold front go through. So we've had some heavy rain, and it's, which we desperately needed. But uh, yeah, no, otherwise it's it's good. I like the yeah. weather down here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. It's beautiful, beautiful country. So as customary in this podcast, we always like to ask our guests how they got into forestry. So so even though I'm I'm introducing you as the principal uh, consultant at Rastromatics, you've been at this for what, like, like, seriously, like 25, 30 years. And what I mean by what this is like, forestry boots on the ground you've seen it you mm-hmm. lived it you're a gis practitioner expert remote sensing expert you're you're bringing lidar to south africa when maybe no south african was really wanting it or seeing the the potential so you're you're a pioneer on that front but but before we get into that space maybe um or talk more about the journey maybe start us off how, how did you get into forestry and 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 what was that initial spark 
Um, I grew up in an agricultural environment. My dad was uh, involved in agriculture, so I was I'm familiar with the sort of being out in the country type of um, thing. Um, my career guidance uh, officer at school, uh, when we did these things, suggested forestry, and I thought, okay, well, um, <clears throat> that sounded like a good option, and I went um, and applied to various forestry companies for uh, um, posts as a student forester, and I was accepted by uh, a sawlog uh, company in the eastern, what was then the eastern Transvaal, eastern Pumalanga today uh, in Sabi, and I joined them and um, they put, as a student forester, and they put me through forestry college, and um, I had about 10 years, eight to 10 years working in the field as a, as a forester. Um, and then um, I, I was fortunate that I was exposed to the whole breadth of forestry in terms of I, I did silviculture, I did harvesting, I went into uh, forestry research for a, a while in tree improvement. Um, and then <clears throat> finally I landed up in, in forest planning as well. So, um, which is where the, the the GIS and that side of things started fitting into it. And um, yeah, I think um, after uh, I'd been probably, a, 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 I was never a very good practical field forester. <laughs> Forest management wasn't really my forte. <laughs> Um, because I, I've always enjoyed the, the, the technical aspects of forestry, and, and that's really been my interest in, in forestry. Now, and, was there anything in your younger days that brought the technical side? Like, were you always a technical person, or it was just something that you kind of grew to discover? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's um, I think one of the things is um, I've always had a fascination with maps and, and, um, I love working with maps and things like that. And I mean, forestry was, is built around maps in the many ways. And right. um, I think my favorite subject at school was geography. Okay. And so I've always had that sort of geographical bent. Um, I remember I was about five or six and my dad was doing some planning work on, on a cattle ranch and he had aerial photographs with stereo aerial, with the old diops and and I remember being fascinated with these these aerial photographs and things. So I've always been very aware of the view from the top is the best. Um, and as a as a as a um, a forester, I, I was very much aware that there were satellites up ahead overhead, and I thought, you know, they can tell me, I'm sure, a lot uh, of what's going on, much more than I can see from just walking on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I started um, as a, I was running a plantation at the time and I sort of started asking questions and asking around and I was referred to um, some people in, one, in our head office and um, <clears throat> uh, they, uh, it was actually the chief surveyor of the group and that I worked for and he took me under his wing and showed me what they were doing as a mining company at that stage. And um, so I, I became aware of that. And then um, during, I was doing some more advanced forestry studies to sort of catch up and, and 
just keep currents. So, and as part of that course, I um, I was introduced to GIS in a in a formal way, and that really really sparked my interest. I thought, you know, that is now. I mean, at this stage, I was about forty five or something, so I only really found my niche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fairly late in my career. Um, but they say today you're going to have about three or four different careers because of just the way the job changes, Yeah, the job market changes. But I mean, when I started GIS, wasn't even an option as a career. <clears throat> and, and what, um, what year, remind me again, what year would that have been timeframe wise? Uh, it was 1977 that I started forestry. Yeah. So, yeah. So GIS even then was really early. Yeah, then like arguably non-existent, right? Yeah, I, I might I speak under correction, but I think it was about that time that Jack Dangermond was just launching right. history. So yeah, yeah, and Roger Tomlinson on the Canadian <laughs> side and doing that work. Yeah, absolutely, yes, yeah. absolutely. Now you also went so, on. You said you did a, a PhD as well. So obviously, uh, your your passion for learning kind of took you down a different way. <laughs> Yes, I'm not really an academic. Um, I, I, I very much like to apply whatever knowledge I have. And, and um, but uh, you know, the academic route started more by default. Um, I, I was I did a couple of of um, post grad forestry courses and things um, after my forestry diploma. Um, and when I learned about GIS, and then I then I was able to do um, uh, an honours degree specialising in GIS through um, the University of Pretoria, and um, <clears throat> that sort of set me on the road to uh, um, go actually specialising into GIS because the company then said, "Oh, you've Tris, you've obviously got an interest here. We'll hive you off into." into the GIS department or the GIS section uh, in the company at the time, which is really where I wanted to go. And um, <clears throat> I wanted to get into remote sensing, um, sort of just almost going full circle back to where I yeah, started. Right. Um, and at that stage, I mean, one had to purchase Landsat imagery and a single image was a huge investment and things like that. So. Um, the company had a, um, a, a study assisted scheme where you could study and they would pay for the studies and whatever went with it. So if I went to my boss and said, can I spend X amount on imagery just to see if I can do anything with it, he would have probably said no. But I said, well, I want to study, so, um, but I need an image. And, and so that side of the business took over. The <laughs> and so... Um, I was able to then, uh, I completed a master's in remote sensing. And then after I completed it, my supervisor, well, before I actually uh, graduated, my supervisor came to me and said, well, just add another year and another chapter and you can go to PhD. Okay. So I thought, oh, well, yeah, okay. I, what, so what I did heck, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually good because I was able to do a lot more um, I was starting off um, originally just with, with Landsat and things. And yeah. then I went on to the high res. Uh, in those days, it was quick bird imagery and things like that. So yeah. I was able to to really get a good um, handle on that. And and all my research was basically around monitoring uh, plantation and forestry operations. And 
um, sort of keeping developing systems uh, to, to monitor um, the operations on the ground from from space. So that yeah. was really the the, cool. the 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 my sort of um, road into um, into the whole GIS and remote sensing. Yeah, uh, so that so that's a good segue. So you mentioned plantation. So for for our listeners who may not be. <clears throat> as familiar with uh, commercial forestry in South Africa. Can you take a moment and describe, like you were working for Mondi, what, 28, 29 years, or somewhere around there, who's counting? But um, tell us, <laughs> tell share with our listeners, what are we growing? What are the, the main species? What's what's rotation like? What what's, uh, what's South African commercial forestry like? Yeah, um, as I said, I started off in a saw log operation, which was um, basically pine saw logs um, in the in the Sabi Kroskop uh, area of um, Mpumalanga province. Um, we were on about a, a twenty to twenty five year rotation, a um, couple of thinnings, prunings, the standard saw log operation, which was re- really great because it gave me a very good grounding in in, in forestry um, <clears throat> at that stage um, Mondi went through uh, quite a big change in terms of its focus and um, because it was primarily a pulp and paper company so um, the 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 whole move um, of the company went to focusing onto pulp regimes with eucalyptus um, so there the rotations um, in some areas were as short as seven to eight years. Wow. Um, in wow. in some areas it was a bit longer, around about ten years. But so um, and there were no no thinnings or prunings or anything like that. You stuck the tree in the ground, looked after it until it had canopied, and then felled it at, at the rotation age. So it was it was quite intense um, forestry. It was um, short rotation. But very small tree size. You know, we weren't dealing with. When I started in in um, the the you know the saw log um, side, I mean, we were working with trees that were up to and over a cubic meter each. So, um, but that uh, was after sort of 28, 30 years rotation. But that changed, and and the whole move was to much smaller piece size. Um, in terms of the milling and things like that. So, um, yeah, it was um, short rotation, rapidly growing crops, um, mostly um, in pulp and paper, well, for the pulp and paper market. Yeah, for sure. Heavily managed, unlike uh, some of our Canadian stuff that uh, I remember when 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 I we were in Peter Maritzburg, you took me out to some of the plantations and they were just beautiful, you know, not... Mm-hmm. Not a lot of understory, you know, just being thinned. It was like, I could do field work here. This is like, you know, a dream compared to the stuff I've been in the mess or other words that start with S um, as, as some of us in uh, North America are familiar with. So, so very cool. So uh, I'm really curious about uh, lots of avenues I want to go down with because you have this rich history and experience in forestry in general and technology, as we talked about some things we take for maybe granted, maybe that's not the right word today. Um, you know, they didn't even exist when you started your career. So I want to, I want to delve into that, mm-hmm. but to kick things off, maybe it's like, you know, tell me about your journey with LIDAR because, uh, and I, and I might go like, you know, start in the present, go backwards, you know, kind of time warp back and forth. 
but this is something that that uh, so so far, listeners, you and I met at I think an American Society Photogrammetry. I can never say it. ASPRS, American Society for Photogrammetric and Remote Sensing Conference in San Diego. I still remember it. It wasn't on the main path. It was kind of like this weird resort. There was like white fences, <laughs> and I think I gave a talk, you gave a talk, and then we kind of came to each other and said, "Oh, mm. it's like you're doing lidar." And this mm. was what, Mark? This is like two thousand. 10 it was 2010 2010 yeah so quite a you know, 21 years ago was that 2010 no 11 years um ago wow a long time ago but you were like i think the only dude from south africa even considering lidar so where where did that come from or or did, did you see something and saw the value as a as as someone looking at technology and thinking forward or or was there some other thing that just got you really excited about LiDAR? Tell me about that. Um, I'd, I'd sort of learned about LiDAR theoretically as part of my studies and things like that. So I, I hadn't um, worked with the data or anything like that until um, uh, I actually got, we, we started working with LiDAR in about 2012. I think we got our first LiDAR data set. Um, I could see the potential and, and obviously with the, with the research and the reading and stuff that I, I um, was doing at the time, I could see that there was a lot of applications uh, beyond just the terrain side of things, because one tends to um, focus on the terrains when one initially works with LIDAR. Um, but it, I could see the, um, the potential uh, on the, on the uh, forest inventory side. Um, but but initially we started off um, because we uh, we used to derive contours with the old dot roll system, um, and that's where were the best contours that we could get in a forested landscape because you can't see the ground all the time. So um, our contour maps were were reasonable, but they they were starting to um, become problematic as 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 we entered the sort of machine age. And um, so there was a, a real focus on getting good terrain data. And I was able to motivate from, I think we just bought a new property that we didn't have any data for. So I said, well, let's fly with LIDAR and see what we can get out of it. And I mean, the first LIDAR data set that I worked with, it blew me away in terms of, of the, the, the the accuracy of, of um, and the detail, and there were uh, there, there had been some a couple of cooperative uh, programs by people before me who who were looking at lidar, but it it didn't really take off. It was oh yeah that looks great, but it's too expensive, and they it sort of got parked. But I was fortunate. Um, I suppose at the right time, right place, I was able to um, um, get the, get start getting LiDAR um, acquired for the company. And the more and more that people saw it, the benefit, and particularly in terms of getting very good terrain data and, and with the, the focus on, on mechanical harvesting coming in and at the similar time, um, there was a big push to get um, this LiDAR data set um, <clears throat> done, for, acquired for the whole company, uh, which we, we were able to do over about a three-year period. Yeah. But I could always see that LiDAR, you know, once you've got LiDAR, yeah, well, you've got LiDAR, you don't need it again type of thing if you're only going to look at the terrain. 
Um, but I could see the potential with, um, with uh, forest inventory. And that's really where I wanted to push the LIDAR into, and which is um, actually when I came across, uh, when at the ASPS conference, uh, yeah. I went to your talk where you'd just spoken, you just um, had described the whole uh, process of using LIDAR to derive forest inventory. So it was really a, the right time, the right place. And, and yeah. that's why I went and spoke to you and things like that. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, we were able to build it from there and, and we were able to work with you guys uh, and getting a lot done in terms of, I think we eventually flew the whole company yeah. um, with, with LIDAR and did, did a um, sort of very, several forest inventory um, exercises yeah well it's amazing and, when i when i talk with with my uh my folks and and my team and they go to conferences <laughs> often there's uh, you know the youngins want to do so much and i often boil it down to like did you meet one new person did you learn one new thing and if the answer mm -hmm. is yes to either one of those questions um then that was a successful event for you truthfully and, and i think mm -hmm. you and i connecting was part of the hey we're going to go to this event we're not sure what what what's going to happen but we're networking mm -hmm. right the power of networking and uh and it created uh, an amazing uh, fun relationship and an adventure truthfully so so think when you initially said you know the lidar blew you away i was literally about to say like literally blew you away like your computer blew up because the size <laughs> of the data or you didn't have the software maybe for our listeners share some of the challenges um because again i'm not sure you're kind of hinting at it and we'll get into it but like lidar is still expensive um and especially mm. in a south african economy um mm. you know with forex or foreign exchange like, like everything's that much more expensive so the fact mm. that you're able to get the company to to do a company-wide mapping is you know i'm clapping my hands here like bravo <laughs> But maybe for our listeners, tell us some of the the adventures, the pains that you had to go through as you started this program, because I, I'm sure a lot of folks will, um, you know, relate to some of the earlier days of trying to get this um, mm. technology off the ground. So describe some of the the, the software you're using, some of the challenges that you bumped into, and uh, and then where you and maybe connect the dots for us in terms of how does that compare to where the world is today as we think about mm. lidar and its application to forestry. Mm. Yeah, I think um, getting the right software uh, to process the LiDAR, um, it is big data sets, but um, I, I was never, that was never really a, a problem. I, I think I was just at the right time in terms of, of the computer technology being able to handle those data sets and, you know, having external hard drives big enough to, to hold the data sets and um, the the ESRI software that we were using was at a point where it was very easy to um, create the, uh, the necessary uh, data sets, uh, the, the raster data sets from, from the LAS files that we were getting and things like that. Um, we went through quite a learning curve with the vendors in terms of the specs. I think that was probably the biggest issue for us was to get the specs right um, for uh, the to make sure that we got good lidar data. Was that because uh, you think you had special? You had a need for special specs given the plantation nature of the forestry, or just um, there weren't any in place. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I found a bit strange, particularly with our first LiDAR data set, I think we had about a 30% overlap. So you've got a very banded 
um, data set where you had a very high intensity of LIDAR, you know, up to 20, 30 points per square meter. And then the where, with the, where you didn't have the overlap, you had it maybe two or three type thing. So you had a very um, une, uh, and dispersed, uh, uh, well, a wide range of, of uh, uh, LIDAR intensities um, coming up. And that to me was a problem because it, it, it didn't really um, give a, a, a consistent result across uh, the imagery that uh, the area that you were flying. So we said, okay, now we've got to have a minimum of a 50% overlap, um, which greatly uh, improved not only the, the, the point density, but um, we were able to get better penetration in, into the canopy and things like that, particularly where there was dense canopy. Um, and it gave a much better um, uh, uh, data set to work with, more consistent data set to work with. Um, we, we had a, um, I was able to be involved with a research project with one, uh, with one of the universities. And um, so we did a whole exercise in terms of determining optimal point density to, to um, basically try and get down to tree counts. You know, how, how many points per meter did you need to what was the minimum that you could get away with um, before you, you could really start counting trees and things? And that was, that's oh, always been the, the challenge. Answer, Mark? What was the answer? <laughs> Come on, you know, people are dying uh, to know. Uh, this is like the golden um, Well, I mean, it's different today because the technology's changed so much and the point density is so much higher and things like that. Uh, we, we landed up at, at about, we, we, we put out a spec of six points per square meter, six pulses per square meter as, as the, the sort of minimum. Um, and uh, that, that was good. I mean, we got good results with that, but I mean, today you get 15, 20 points, no problem. So, uh, you know, the, the technology is a whole lot further down the line than it, it was uh, when I was working, when I started working with the data. Um, so, you know, that's those, I think uh, one critical thing is, is well, uh, in my experience was to make sure that you got the specs right uh, and that the, the vendor knew exactly what he had to produce and um, what was expected. Right. And, and that was quite a learning curve um, that took a couple of iterations of getting that right and things, but, but we, we got it right in the end and, and we had very good cooperation from our vendors to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think that was um, the, uh, um, one of the, biggest learnings for us. Right, right. The, um, also, what, what would you say, Mark, sorry to jump in here, but what would you say the state of LIDAR and forestry is in uh, South Africa uh, now? Would you say it's, you know, operational, it's like flown annually, or do you think it, it's still kind of like it, it, it was flown, it's shown its benefits, but from a, an ROI or business case point of view, it, it hasn't really maybe punched through that that uh, that adoption uh, wall. No, it, it's it's uh, to my the best. I mean, I've been out of the the direct industry for a couple of years now, so I'm not current with exactly what's happening with the big companies. Uh, to my knowledge, no one's doing it, it regularly. Um, I think there might be one company. Uh, the last time I heard, they were doing some lidar, but. 
um, I, it doesn't seem to yet have have really become become the norm as it is in places like Scandinavia and Canada and things like that, where you know they've they've managed to go through that mindset of oh it's too expensive and they've seen the benefit and and you know they it's also costs have come down to where it's practical and things right. like that. I, um, I think. Yeah, it doesn't, to my to my knowledge and understanding, I don't think we've reached that point in 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 the industry here as yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you you and I and and I'm sure all our listeners know at the end of the day in forestry, um, costs matter, right? And I think in South mm -hmm. Africa, there's there's you know not as many players that are flying these no. instruments. So you know, I think you know, we, we back up and look at, um, you know, supply demand here. There's probably other factors at play, mm. um, influencing that per hectare per acre cost. So it's mm. probably, um, tough from that point of view. Now, I know just as a kind of a detour here, I know you mentioned you haven't been, um, in the space with, with the forestry companies or especially, you know, Mondi where you left, uh, back then just for educate, cause I find this fascinating. Um, I believe you said when, when folks in South Africa hit 60, they're basically forced, um, to retire or something along those lines or encourage yeah maybe share uh, educate our listeners on what uh, what happened there I think that's very company specific in in my in my particular case uh, um, there was an imperative at the time for um, people to to move on um, sadly for me but it is the way things are um, but yeah it, it, um, I think it depends on on company to company. Some companies, uh, the age is sixty three, others are sixty five. So it 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 is not it's not a general rule. Okay. Um, right. I think it was more just a, a function of of where I was at the time and the situations that were yeah. present at the time when when I turned sixty. Uh, yeah, well, it's got to be got to be tough uh, being encouraged to retire when maybe you feel like you still got a lot in you left to give right so uh that's how yeah. rastromatics came to be right so um so thinking yeah. of of looking forward i guess you know you've worked a lot or you work with the software you know we've heard esri so using that technology i know there's a host of other tools but but i wanted to tap your thoughts on and especially given your rich background like the eo space or the earth observation space um I won't say is crazy right now, but compared to, you know, your comment, I'm going to get one Landsat scene versus now where you can task it <laughs> yourself and queue things up. Like, like, did that surprise you? Did you think that world was coming given where you are today, looking back in your career, the early days and your studies and your operational experience? Like what, what are your thoughts on the world of earth observation now? Did you, did you see it coming? Um, I saw it. The, the the sensors were starting to um, come in, um, you know, the high res, quick birds, um, Ikonos and those things were starting to come in um, when I was working with the data. Um, I think the big kicker came in when um, the USGS um, opened up their Landsat and made it freely available. I mean, that was an absolute game changer just in terms of you could just do so much. I mean, I, I just go now. I mean, I want an image. I just go to right. uh, the USGS site or to the ESA site, uh, um, and I can get incredible imagery downloaded for free. And it's been an app. That's been an absolute game changer. And I take my hat off to the US taxpayer. But um, 
that, that those um, those were really step changes. Um, I think in terms, and, and I, I've, I've heard it quite a lot um, said by other um, participants that you've interviewed. To me, there are three things that, that um, are, are driving this. Um, it's the sensors, it's the software, and it's the connectivity. I think those three things um, are driving and will continue to drive um, the whole EO space. Um, sensors, much higher resolution, more bands. I think the next big move um, that I'm, I'm interested to see is in the hyperspectral. For some reason, hyperspectral has always just seemed to have remained in, in the research realm, apart from some geological um, applications. But I think that's going to take a big move forward in, in, in the near future and in, in the next sort of few years. Um, there, are a lot, there are several hyperspectral sensors now being um, launched and um, the, um, the German, the DLR have just launched one and that's, um, I think that data is going to be free, which will again be a big game changer. Um, the I think also radar. I think radar is going to um, radar has always been the most challenging of um, the um, Earth observation technologies to to get your mind around um, and what, to what, understand. Why do, you, why do you say that, Mark? It, it's not intuitive. Um, you can get a satellite image and look at it as a picture and and just you know immediately pick up things. Radar is. Um, it's incredible technology, uh, and the thing that the fact that the big thing is that it sees through cloud and at night and things like that. So you're not restricted um, to those um, things that are a huge problem in in the optical um, um, arena. Um, but you have to be able to um, translate. <laughs> That's what I call it because Canadians have led on radar. I know a lot of, um, you know, people in the EO space in Canada, are like, why hasn't radar taken off? And I always joke, it's like, because you need to know how to do math. It's like all mm. the other stuff, it looks like a picture, but, you know, mm. that backscatter coefficient, it's like, if you don't know how to do math, it's like, you're not going to, you know, understand that that picture, that radar picture yes. is telling you something else. So mm. it's kind of my joke there when I, I say mm. math, but, uh, but yeah, but sorry, to no, keep, keep going is. with your thoughts. <laughs> No, it is that that is a big challenge. It, it's not intuitive. Um, you have to understand that even when it's been processed and, and you look at a radar image, um, it's, it's not intuitive and you have to understand what you're looking at. And that takes experience and skill and things like that. So it's a lot more challenging to work with, but it's it's and unfortunately in, in the vegetation realm, it is it's quite complex to work within the vegetation realm um, you can't just do an NDVI type of process and, and um, things like that so um, in, a, in a built environment it's a lot easier to work with because um, there's, there's so much better signal separation um, which is not the case in, in uh, with vegetation so, so what about, there's what some... about the spaceborne lidar mark so as we think about it, as we're talking about earth observation you're up in that space thinking of <laughs> You know, dating us, but um, you know the Elvis days to um, mm. the early uh, Ralph Dubaya and then Marilyn and some of their uh, the VCL um, things that had some challenges. But but what's your outlook on maybe the space lidar things? Is it is it really geared still towards more maybe 
landscape level vegetation studies or do you do you see any opportunities for commercial forestry or or not quite yet uh, yeah, well unfortunately there isn't a sensor i've looked at the jedi data um it, it, that unfortunately is quite complicated to work with wolf from what i've tried to to look at it it's you don't get an las file which is a huge <laughs> pity because then you could just simply plug it in and and, and work with it um look i think anything spaceborne is is going to have um that you know the obvious advantage of, of continual coverage and things like that and you don't have to send an aircraft up and and things like that um so um yes i think uh i, I i'm hoping I, i'm not aware of any um specific uh sensors that are being planned i mean i even hear that they're wanting to um stop the jedi program which will be a pity if they do because it, it, although it's it just sort of samples um you, uh, data across you can at least use it as some sort of um uh, sample plot measure and to build up from uh, but um yeah I, if if there was an appropriate sensor out there it would be great yeah sure for sure yeah um, so so we'll be curious to see like with the push of carbon right and climate change right one would hope that um you know investments in the technologies related to supporting those um those key key themes remain a, a top priority, but but maybe as we think about technology again, digital forester podcast you started when Nesri didn't even exist uh, and was launching um, per se. Is there something that's happened in forestry in terms of technology that you didn't anticipate, or or maybe um, or maybe you did anticipate, but it went sideways in a completely different path? Is is there a one of those showstopper like oh like totally totally threw me off a uh, game changer uh, in in forestry uh, for from your point of view? Um, I, I think in, what I find encouraging is is um, I'm involved with uh, one of the local universities here, and I've um, what's been a real encouragement to, to me is to see how much they are wanting to bring in and have included um, things like remote sensing, um, lidar, uh, into their into their curriculum. So there's there's a strong um, drive towards that which is which is very positive in terms of that the youngsters who are coming out um, of these institutions are going to be familiar and are going to want to use these technologies so i think from that perspective um, i think there's going to be a much bigger uptake um, i'm i'm just it's actually amazed me to to see um, the extent to which technology has been applied in forestry even um, more uh, on on decision support system type things, web based um, uh, uh, systems that uh, give foresters access to relevant data. Um, you know, gone are the days where you had a hard copy map of your in in your vehicle uh, of your plantation. You know, everything's on the tablet and on the digital, and you can drive around and it's real time, and you can see exactly where you are. Um, all of that type of technology, which is really goes back to that whole con connectivity uh, that I was talking about earlier, where this the Internet of Things is really becoming um, a lot more visible and a lot more um, 
practical in terms of, of um, real-time information being fed to the guys on the ground. And, yeah. and uh, to me, the, the, the biggest um, strength I always found or the biggest advantage for using things like remote sensing um, I've always said uh, remote sensing is indicative, it's not definitive. Um, and all the time that I worked with imagery on the plantations and things like that, I could, I could see where something was wrong. I couldn't say, I didn't know why it was wrong, but I could point the forester into the right direction. And I think the, the advantage that remote sensing and that type of technology brings is the ability to tell management where to look to get focused uh, management attention to where it really counts um, driving along a road you just miss so much you just you can't see it but when you have the view from the top and you can see things and things stand out if it doesn't look right go and have a look and see why it doesn't look right nine times out of ten whenever i went and did ground truthing i mean i had uh, I, one of my favorite examples is i had a very good forester knew his plantation backwards, but there were two pine stands next to each other. And they were mapped as, as a single compartment on the map. And when I looked at the image, I could see there was something wrong that there was a distinct difference between half of the compartment and the other half of the compartment. And we went and drove out there. And I mean, this was a guy who, good uh, forester, knew his plantation. And we went out and there were two different pine species. Mm. And he said, you yeah, know, I have never seen that. <laughs> yeah and and it was just to me it was that really sort of illustrated the fact of, of how um things like remote sensing can direct management attention to where it needs where to it be needs and to be, yeah. and you know really um bring value that way yeah so yeah. um so what, what would you yeah. say say mark then get a great story because we 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 we've seen uh you know enough plantations where you know where there's more water obviously you know the the trees are behaving differently where where areas there's less moisture you you see that in whatever remote sensing mm -hmm. product and 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 how do you take that information and and turn it leverage it in decision making but what mm -hmm. would you say i'm curious um what would you say the current state of the art is in South Africa, what you see, because when I hear, you know, the universities launching, um, you know, programs to focus on remote sense, you know, often the universities, the colleges are kind of the anchor for innovation, mm -hmm. like they start because it's that trusted environment where you're in the ivory tower, you could do no mm -hmm. wrong, just explore. So if that's not if that's getting built now, is there really a strong ecosystem that's established in South Africa for innovation and enforced technology? Or would you say, uh, maybe it's lagging or just being developed compared to maybe some or, or other jurisdictions um, that you see. And, and even, I guess, thinking of um, the state of technology and forestry uh, relative within Africa, because you South Africa is obviously in the southern tip duh, of Africa, but relative to other parts of Africa, like, are there any trends or collaborations that you're seeing synergies or is it really kind of, you know, yes, we're leading in South Africa, but we still have a ways to go. Um, as a function of cost or just learning or, or basic frameworks. What, what, are your, what can you share or what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think th there is a strong um, innovation trend. Um, I know um, the focus has been more on things like mechanization, uh, so machinery in the forests and 
extended into it started off in the harvesting and 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 with lots of harvesting um type uh, fellow bunches um cut to length processes and all of that and that that's very well entrenched now in in the industry um uh and and there was a strong drive for that over the past few years and that's moved into the silviculture realm now where they're starting to look at um, mechanized plantings and other um, 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 mechanization aspects of, of, of the operations. Um, I think from a, uh, a remote sensing and, and um, uh, uh, side, there's been a lot of of uptake um, in the industry from uh, particularly with the, with the planet um, imagery and uh, that uh, both planet and the uh, worldview uh, Maxar uh, offerings they've they've really uh, become um, fairly well entrenched in terms of supplying services to the to the southern African forestry industry. Um, and I, I can see, you know, in terms of my work into um, the East Africa and other places, um, West Africa recently as well, where it's starting to take a hold. People are starting to see, oh, you know, um, this imagery can really help us. They're getting past the mindset. Oh, you know, it's, a, uh, it's expensive to get an image. I, um, fortunately, the, the cost barrier is dropping, uh, and um, you don't need to have a remote sensing expert in your company anymore to to be able to leverage this technology. It's being provided uh, as web services and things like that um, by various companies at. Um, affordable rates. So there is uh, there is a big move um, on the monitoring side and things like that to to start um, using the, the 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 technology and the imagery that's available out there. So that's encouraging to see. For sure, for sure. So when we think about the one year view of the world in uh, a year from now, and you know this question's coming three years from now and ten years from now. <laughs> You know what? What gets you excited uh, each day? You know, aside from uh, maybe uh, warming up, since uh, as you mentioned, you have no central heating and uh, it's sixteen degrees. I feel like it, I'm back at my my parents' house when I was growing up, where we did have central heating, and yet it was still sixteen degrees in the house because we were conserving, uh, reducing our costs. So uh, I don't like that. And then I think you've told me single pane glass, like all the things to make your house more warmer, uh, like are not being utilized. But that's a side rant. Uh, uh, side discussion we have but what gets you up uh let maybe start with the one year time frame what what gets you up uh, tomorrow morning you wake up you hop out of bed uh what what gets you excited uh, from the technology on the forestry front i think to see um an expansion in 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 the use of the technology um as i said particularly with the youngsters coming out of of the institutions now that the educational institutions they're going to be um it's going to be automatic for them. Uh, they'll be surprised if they can't get access to this data and things like that. So um, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, a, a strong push from the bottom to, to have access to this uh, technology and to use it. And there's some very clever people out there and they're doing some very clever things uh, um, 
with this technology are that I think are going to be pushing the boundaries. Um, so uh, I think um, with the sensors that are coming on board, uh, what what I would really love to see is um, I think one of the big um, issues why hyperspectral has never really taken off is that no one can really say which of the 155 bands are useful for my product or to my to answer my question. And I think um, I'd love to see some really good research coming out defining um, what bands relate well to say um, the internal structure of of timber. You know how much lignin is there. You know um, something like that, that that where they they can um, tweak out those bands and say right these are the four or five bands that you need to answer this question. These are the four or five bands you need to answer that question. I think when 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 the industry hits at that um, level of of um, service, then you're going to see a very big uptake in in uh, things like the hyperspectral field. But I, you know, I think it's, that's just a matter of time. I think that will be um, be coming fairly shortly. Um, yeah, I'm, also, I, it's an it's an interesting point on the, on that, Mark, because I wonder, you know, from the AI point of view, um, you know, more empirical, they probably are just going to take mm -hmm. all that that large volume data and shove it through uh, a DL thing and not care. Like it, it's almost like, I feel like the academic side, right? Like what, what is, what are we remote sensing the, the mm. theory? And, and if we can understand that, then we can build models that are maybe not so heavily tied mm. to mm. empirical data. There's always been mm. that school of thought, but, but mm. clearly in the last few years mm. with AI, we're seeing, it's like, does it really matter? And, 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 and mm. if we can't answer that, does it really matter because the results are that good mm. and, and it's more about yeah. validation and verification. Mm. So, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that shape shakes out. Um, mm. There's two views, I guess the academic one versus mm. the, Hey, this thing solves the problem, but three mm. years out, what, what gets you excited three years out? You know, uh, again, you still don't have central heating in the house because um, <laughs> that's how the world works, but now it's three years and you're getting out of bed. What, 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 what do you think is going to get you excited at, 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 at that point in time? Ah, that's a curveball question, but <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think the um, I'm very interested to see where the the the, the software um, side of things going because, as you said, um, as 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 many people have said on this on this talk, um, it, it's it senses its software and it's the connectivity. And I think the software side, as you've pointed out, is the AI field. I think the AI field is going to um, be the differentiator down the line in, in three, four, maybe even not even as long as that, but certainly within three or four years, I think um, the AI field is has going to be in at a point where um, it's going to answer a lot more questions than we thought were possible. Yeah. Probably answering questions we're not even asking at the moment. Um, so I think from that perspective, um, I'm gonna be very interested to see how that pans out um i i've tried to bend my head around um this deep learning and machine learning and things and it is 
yeah, I think it's a it's a bit of a bridge too far for for my little brain at this stage of life. But um, but there are a lot of very clever people who are working on these things, and um, so I think down the line that that's going to be the differentiator. Um, and uh, well, well, who yeah. knows? If you're like the Google engineer, right? We already have a, a sentient AI uh, under and somewhere in Google's HQ or, or somewhere um, that's been in the news. And, and um, yeah, like, like you, you just never know, even as a lot of us, a lot of us has joked about web three, you look at the crypto space right now, it's arguably imploding. And uh, you know, what does that mean? But, but that's, uh, we can look at it from a pessimistic point of view, or we can look at it from mm. just cycles, there's boom busts. And this is part of, uh, you know, bringing new ideas to market. Uh, it's never going to mm. go as a, as a straight line. So, so thinking of yourself um, as a, as a Mark Norris, Dr. Mark Norris Rogers today, and thinking of young Mark, I always like bringing it full circle, right? Um, staring at those those air photos and, and and stuff like that. If you're able to go back in time and give yourself a, a pro tip of advice, um, is there something you'd share with yourself um, as a as a young forester and and one younger digital foresters listening to this could could maybe draw on and carry with them as they go forward with their mm. careers? Yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but um, I, you know, I think one of the things that really has um, helped me get ahead is that uh, you mustn't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I literally um, I asked for help to um, find out about remote sensing, and I was pointed in the right direction. I met the guy, and he went out of his way and opened up the whole thing for me. You know. Um, when I, um, when I was at another ASPRS conference, I, uh, I just finished my M and I was just on the process of starting, uh, uh my PhD portion of it. And I, the chap organizing, uh, my session at the conference where I presented a paper. Um, I said to him, he was, I mean, he was the Dean of the Faculty of, of uh, Bioresource Engineering in, in the University of Leuven. And, but I went to him and I said, would he consider being a, a co-supervisor with me? Because I could see that he could help me. And, and our, our, our man, Paul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good guy. Yeah, yeah. Professor Dr. Paul Copper. Uh, and he said, yes. You know, I mean, that absolutely uh, uh, transformed my whole um, PhD side of things, you know, just his input for that. Um, when I met you and I came to you and said, you know, um, can we talk about doing LIDAR? I mean, that was all of those things were very instrumental and I was, I, I was never rebuffed. Um, so I think for me, be willing to ask for help and and uh, people out there will be very willing to help and open the doors so i think that is is for me was has been probably one of the biggest things that enabled me to get ahead in the way that i had done um for, fortunately i don't have to say if only i had done that because <laughs> I, I you know i was able to do it but um yeah i mean i'm in my mid 60s now and the one thing i, I I, I see even today, I, I cannot stop learning. I have to, particularly in a technology field, 
uh, keep on learning. I mean, I remember when I, f I wrote, just finished my last exam at Forestry College and uh, in my diploma of forestry, when I, and I thought, oh, great, I never have to write another exam. I'm a qualified forester. And that was followed by 12 years of postgrad part-time studies, you know, it, uh, you just cannot afford to stop learning and, and sit Absolutely. back, you know. Um, so I think those two things, be, ask for help and um, don't stop learning, you know, yeah. because, because those things will carry you. Well, well now uh, we know as looking back when we were doing exams with the Scantron, right? Just always answer C, just every question, answer C and probabilistically <laughs> you'll come out with a pass anyway. So why study? Just do that uh, again, the, the statistics side. But hey, as we wind down, you know, this is great um, seeing you for one. You know, we always do these uh, video and we take the video and, and audio there. So it's great to, great to see you. Um, awesome catching up, you know, for our listeners, you know, as I said at the start, Mark was always uh, one of the good guys willing to go above and beyond. And as he said, he reached out for help, you know, feel free to reach out for help. I know you've, I, I have very fond memories. You took me on safari in Kruger National Park, right? We saw all these crazy animals. Like, where's the elephant? Oh, it's right behind us at the, the, the restaurant. So I was like, holy S-H-I-T, right? Or sorry, S dollar sign h exclamation mark t can't say that word i'll probably get beeped uh, beeped out but um but but amazing you're, you're always one of the good guys super fond memories and and i love the fact that you're always wanting to learn and and, and honestly you know if we don't want to be continuous learners in life um, um i don't know I, I i would find that a boring life journey uh personally so for those who want to reach out and and tap into even though you say you know in modesty you know oh you know i've been out of the scene you know i'm uh, mid-60s type of thing there's a there's a brain trust here uh for those who want to reach out to chat for those who want to reach out to to maybe collaborate with you in south africa or or whatever that is what what's the best way for folks to reach you is it email social or, or what is um, uh, um yeah email is probably the best um but I'm on LinkedIn as well. So I'm not a hugely active person on the social media, but I do have a LinkedIn account. So um, I'm there or my email is markNR5 at gmail.com. All right, there you go. So everybody, if you want to grab a hold of Mark and, and chat shop and, and get his views on the past, present and where he thinks the world's going, LinkedIn, Dr. Mark Norris hyphen Rogers or mark nr as in uh november romeo five at gmail.com so hey man it's great catching up with you love love the exchanging thoughts going down uh, maybe me more so down memory lane but definitely cool to to see uh, what you're up to and and get your thoughts on uh, where where technology is has come in south africa and, and where it could go and where it's going so definitely appreciate your thoughts uh, mm. all the best looking forward to seeing you in person one of these days at one of those events but until then Certainly. okay thanks so much thank you for all the right. privilege of taking part awesome it was mine thanks mark talk soon cheers